All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the 215 Seamer Podcast. My name is Connor Doherty. I'm one of your co-hosts. Today, I'm joined by Dylan Campbell and Michael Culp, and we're also joined by a special guest. He is a fifth-round pick of the Philadelphia Phillies in that 1988 MLB draft, 1,300 career, almost 1,300 career games over 11 seasons, the first second baseman in National League history to turn an unassisted triple play in the regular season, an all-star in 1995, an MVP vote-getter in 1998, and former Phillies first base coach and current Phillies club ambassador, Mickey Moradini. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. For sure. So uh, I think, Culp, do you just want to lead us off here? Yeah, why not? Um, so my first question is, what makes a good clubhouse? And how does adding someone change the dynamic of the clubhouse? Well, I think a good clubhouse is a loose clubhouse. Um, you got to have a good leader in the clubhouse. Now, I always use an example of Darren Dalton when I played. He was the best clubhouse leader. Uh, that I was ever involved with when I played, but uh, just a loose atmosphere, uh, guys that are willing to work, guys that are willing to talk to each other. Um, obviously, there's got to be communication, not only between the players, but the coaching staff and the players, the trainers and the players. Um, so the biggest thing for me is a loose clubhouse and, and good communication. I think that makes uh, a good clubhouse. Obviously, winning helps. When you're winning, um, the clubhouse is obviously going to be a a lot more relaxed and a lot more fun than when uh, you're losing. That's for sure. Right. So then, uh, you know, one guy that you just brought up that I don't think me and Colby are old enough to have seen him play Dylan, maybe you have, I don't know, but um, Darren Dalton, everyone talks about how incredible a guy he was and how incredible a player he was. So I guess, could you talk a little bit more about him uh, not only as a player, but as a person as well? Yeah, I mean, obviously, he was a great player, uh, catcher. Um, he probably wasn't the most talented catcher, but I will say this. He worked very, very hard to become very good, especially uh, on the offensive side. He was always a good defensive catcher, <clears throat> uh, but really studied the game. Um, one of those guys, he went through nine knee surgeries and uh, still wanted to be behind that plate every day. Um, for example, we'd play a night game and at midnight, um, we'd come in for a Sunday day game and he, uh, wouldn't be in the lineup. He'd walk right into Jim Fergosi's office and say, I'm fine. I'm playing today. And the next thing you know, John Vukovic is coming out and changing the name and putting Darren's name in that lineup. That's how bad he wanted to play. So just a super, super, uh, great baseball player, but he was actually a very special person. Um, taught me a lot about the game when I first got called up, taught me about dealing with the media, playing hurt, dealing with Philadelphia fans, all different kind of things. Um, a, a mentor for me, I'll give you an example how he helped me out. Uh, my first couple of years, I was platooning, only playing against right-handed pitching. I had the opportunity uh, to start against a left-handed pitcher. And there was a runner on second. I come up to bat and I laid down a bunt. And uh, after the inning ended, I came into the dugout. He pulled me aside and he says, what are you doing? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he goes, do you want to play every day against left-handed pitching? And I said, absolutely. And he goes, well, what the heck are you bunning for? You need to go up there, prove that you can hit left-handed pitching so you get more opportunities. And that's the kind of, kind of guy he was. He, he not only cared about winning, but he cared about his teammates too. Yeah, special guy for sure. 
I'm, I'm curious, uh, Nikki. So being a part of that 93 team, you know, that went all the way to the World Series, it's something that, you know, we haven't seen in Philadelphia in quite some time. And the stat just came up, you know, the last night of the other night, first time since 2011, this current ball club has been 18 games over 500. Right. Uh, besides just talent on the field, what do you think about it? It is about this team that has kind of led them to such success. Well, I think part of it's good coaching. Um, obviously, when Rob Thompson took over, something clicked. You know, something wasn't happening when Joe was here. Um, I don't know what it was, but one thing Joe, uh, uh, Rob Thompson has done, he's given the young guys opportunities. And I think you're finding out as this season has gone on, those young guys have had a huge impact on this team. We're talking about Stott, Maton, um, Verling, those types of guys. They, they've had a huge impact and won a lot of games for this team. So that was a big thing. But um, to have a good team, obviously you got to have good starting pitching and a good bullpen. Uh, and for the most part, our starting pitching has been pretty solid all year. Our bullpen had a little bit of a little bit of a wave here, but the bullpen I think is in really good shape, especially since Sir Anthony's back. Um, and uh, you have to have guys have career years. Back in '93, we had a, about seven or eight guys that had career years, and you're seeing that. You know, Bohm's having a, a career year. Um, you know, Schwarber, power-wise, is having a career year. Um, you know. Uh, JT for me is having a career. He's, he's been outstanding. Hoskins almost has 30. So you have to have all these guys. Nola's having a great year. Um, so you have to have all these guys really play up to their potential to be able to do the things that the Phillies are doing. And, and they're finally doing that. On that. Uh, uh, you yeah, can go Connor, if Sorry. You want. I was just going to say on that, and this doesn't have to be Girardi Thompson. It could be you know, any of the managers you've had. For you know, someone on the outside looking in, obviously major sit the lineups, but how, how can you kind of characterize the effect they have in the clubhouse? What, what does a good manager mean to you? Yeah, I mean, a good manager for me is someone that holds you accountable um, and knows who you are as a person. Like you can't coach everybody the same way. There's certain players you can yell at. There's certain players you got to pat on the butt. Other players, you just have to talk them, you know, sit them down and talk to them. So there's, there's different ways of, of, of a coach can do with certain different players. And you know who you can yell at, who you can't yell at, who you got to baby a little bit and pamper a little bit to get them motivated. And I don't know if Joe was good at that. I, you know, I, I don't know because I wasn't in the clubhouse. So I don't know yeah. what was going on in the clubhouse. But Rob seems to have firm roles for everybody. Joe really didn't like Joe's bullpen just kind of was here and there. Uh, looks like Rob's got a, a plan for all these bullpen guys. And it just seems like he's communicating with these guys better. And, and once again, you know, Bryce was really good friends with Stott and Stott wasn't getting a lot of playing time. And I think they're, that created a little bit of friction as well with Joe. So um, one thing I think we all know is you got to keep your superstars happy. And uh, I think Bryce is happy on this team. He's happy the way they're playing. He's happy the way uh, things are going right now. And that's, that's part of the reason they're playing so well. I think uh, one thing going back to your time in the clubhouse, uh, one guy that I was pretty curious uh, about, wanted to know a little bit about was what was it like to be teammates with Kurt Schilling? 
Kurt, you know, Kurt was, um, he kind of gets a bad rap for being a bad teammate. He wasn't a bad teammate at all. He was a guy that, um, I will say this, he was a guy that prepared like no other. Um, he studied video of every hitter. When he went into those games that he pitched, he knew every pitch that he wanted to throw to every batter and every count and every situation. That's how, uh, how much he studied uh, the opposing team. So he worked very hard. He had great bullpens. Um, he wanted to be a great pitcher. And obviously there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and he, he demanded a lot of himself and he demanded a lot of his teammates. And when sometimes when his teammates didn't play up to uh, par, then, then he let them know. But uh, uh, I still, you know, have a pretty good relationship with Kurt. And I will say this, if I had a game seven of a world series, all the guys that I've played with for me, Kurt Schilling would be that guy to take them on in game seven. Wow. Some pretty, uh, some pretty high praise right there. Yeah, he was that good. He was that good. He had unbelievable command of the baseball. He had an unbelievable forkball, and he just knew how to pitch. He knew how to pitch. Don't hear much about the, uh, the old forkball anymore. You don't. Um, Naris threw it, you know, before we got rid of him, uh, I believe, last year. But, uh, no, a lot of people – I think a lot of people think it creates arm issues, arm troubles with the fork you have to throw that with, you know. Um, so uh, more, more guys are going to cutters and change-ups and sinkers and things like that. But, yeah, not a lot of people are throwing that split finger anymore. Okay. Maybe and that's then, analytics. Uh, Maybe analytics is telling us not to use that pitch anymore. I don't know. Yeah. Who, who really knows? There's a lot of, there's a lot of stats that I don't, I mean, I don't even know what most of them mean. I don't know any of them. I don't pay attention to them. <laughs> Do you think but, um, we've become too analytical? Oh, no question. Absolutely. Now, there, now don't get me wrong. There's a lot of information out there. It's very, very useful for hitters and pitchers and defenders and things like that. But I think it's to the point now where it's too much information and all these players can't, can't take it all in. You know, you need to, to put this aside and say, this, this isn't for me, but this works for me. Um, and I think you saw that a little bit with Reese Hoskins, not this year, but last year where I think he depended a little bit too much on how, you know, what that pitcher was throwing first pitch, what that pitcher, and you saw him take a lot of fastballs early in, and I think he was depending on that analytics uh, a little bit too much. Now, this year, he's a lot more aggressive, um, and he's having a heck of a year. Right. So then uh, a few weeks ago, actually, it was, uh, I guess now it's probably a little bit more funny to you. It was probably a little bit scary at the time, the O'Neill Cruz, when he lost his bat on the swing. <laughs> I believe you were sitting uh, right behind the row where uh, where the bat fell. Yes. Um, yeah, I thought it was going to hit the netting. And all of a sudden, it helicoptered over that netting. And I did. I got a little panicky right there because it was coming right for me. Uh, but landed in the row before me. And a couple of girls knocked it down and caught it. And it just so happened that one of the girls, it was her birthday. Um, so, you know, an inning or two went by. She had the bat. And a Pittsburgh representative <clears throat> comes up to her and says, we have to have that bat back. And technically, you do not have to give a bat back when they throw it in the stands like that. Um, so she was a little resistant. And definitely the fans around her were, were all over her to not give that bat back. But uh, eventually she caved in. 
they did give her a new bat, but it was like a BP bat that nobody signed. Um, oh. So that's when we came in. The Phillies came into play and kind of felt bad for her. So um, I got the text that uh, we had something for her. And I went up and grabbed the Harper bat and brought it down and gave it to her. And she was obviously very, very thrilled with that. So I think she won out in the end. That's for sure. Yeah. Happy birthday. Honestly. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then just to throw it back to your, uh, to your early life there, it was, uh, was growing up and playing the MLB something that you always wanted to do or something that, you know, just kind of came together over a course of course of time. No, I was always a big base. I was a big baseball basketball guy. Um, I grew up in the Pittsburgh area. So obviously I grew up a Pirates fan growing up, you know, you win the world series in 79, the, we are family group. Um, but yeah, I always wanted to play. I didn't really know I actually had a chance to play in the big leagues until I got to college and had a couple of really good years. Uh, my freshman and sophomore year and started seeing some scouts start to come out and things like that. That's when I thought, well, maybe we can uh, make this thing happen. And, you know, I just continued to get better, improve and had a couple of really good minor league years, my first two years. And, you know, I got the call up in September of 1990. So uh, the dream came true, but it, it came true with a lot of, a lot of work, a lot of hard work, a lot of effort, a lot of sweating, a lot of grinding. And, um, you know, for me, it paid off. Right. And I feel you hear a lot of times about like, for example, Harper and Stott, uh, they're two close friends grew up in the same, grew up in Vegas together. Um, did you grow up around any other uh, future MLBers, and did you play against them in little league or high school or maybe even college? I played against one guy. I uh, played him once actually in high school. It was like a playoff game. His name was Curtis Laskanik. He was a pitcher, relief pitcher for the, I think, Colorado Rockies for most of his career. But I really didn't grow up around. Uh, I grew up in a really small town north of Pittsburgh, a little town called Leechburg, Pennsylvania. My graduating class was 98 kids, so super small school. Um, so I really didn't play against really any big leaguers or guys that, um, you know, made it to even the minor leagues. But, uh, you know, I just, like I said, I, I worked hard. You know, I was one of those kids that when I was young, I went out and played wiffle ball every day, or I played stickball every day, or I would go out and throw a ball against the wall and catch it or a pitch back, things like that. I did it every day. And, you know, when I look back on doing those things, I really, um, it really created a lot of good habits for me and a lot of skill set for me, you know, especially being a middle infielder that helped me as, as I got older. So, I'm kind of glad I did those things when I was young. You don't see that too often. You don't go by a, a park anymore and see a big wiffle ball game going on or yeah. pick up basketball game or things like that. And it's kind of sad, actually, because we have some great facilities here in the Philadelphia area that I drive by all the time and they're empty. And it's just kind of really sad that nobody's playing some of these sports uh, like they used to. Everything right. has become so specialized at the youth level. It really has, especially. Yep. Yeah. And, and my, I talk to kids a lot. I do a lot of camps, a lot of things like that. For a young kid, you need to play multiple sports. Um, and as you said, um, you know, a lot of coaches want you to just play baseball or just play basketball year-round, and that's not good for a kid. One, you're going to get burned out. Um, you need to play multiple sports. Then when you get to high school, 
you can figure out, hey, this is a sport I really like. I don't really like this one. I'm better at this one or whatever it may be. But uh, I tell kids all the time as, as young kids and coming up through, you know, seventh, eighth, ninth grade, play as many sports as you can. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's a big one to keep kids active. Um, and then I don't know if uh, Dylan or Colt, do you guys have anything else? I have one more, but I want to give you guys a chance to jump in here. I've got one, but Colt, do you have one? Um, no, not at the moment. Okay. I'm curious uh, because all of us are, you know, big, big bone fans, right? And, uh, you Gold know, we've been fans for a while at Platinum Glover, even. I, and I, I think it's so, I have different theories. I think it's a sham to waste him at first base. I think his arm is way too talented. But can you tell me what you've seen from Bohm physically and mentally this year that's kind of made it click for him? Well, he's been impressive because he had the gaff going to the mound where, uh, you know, he kind of cussed out the Philly fans. And yeah. I think – I don't know if he was told to, to own up to it and be accountable or if that's just something he did on his own. But that was huge for him because we all know in Philadelphia, if he says, oh, I didn't say that, or he doesn't hold himself accountable, <laughs> he gets buried. And we yeah. know that. And he held himself accountable. And I think Philly, Philly fans said, all right, you know, he messed up. That's fine. And I think that really helped him because he was really struggling, especially defensively at the time. And um, I think that made a big difference that he, he realized he made a mistake, but yet the Philly fans still backed him. The, the, the organization still backed him. And I think that made him uh, relax a little bit, actually. And uh, he's having a tremendous offensive year. And I love Alec Bohm the way he hits. You know, he doesn't deal with the uppercut. He's not worried about home runs. He hits the ball where it's pitched. Um, you know, he's cut down on strikeouts. I love that. I love that type of ball play. You don't see that many guys nowadays that, that can hit to all fields and not worry about the, the launch angle and exit velocity and all that stuff. And, you know, he's gotten serviceable at third base. I mean, he's obviously a ton better than was when he came up here as a rookie. So, I think they're doing a really good job on him. I know he works hard uh, at third base, and um, I don't know what they're going to do. I, I, I don't know. I know Reese has one more year of arbitration eligibility, so we'll probably hang on to Reese through some part yeah. of next year. We'll see how it goes. Um, I'm not sure they're going to be willing to give Reese a big, you know, 20, 25 million long-term deal. I don't know that. Um, and if they don't, We'll see what happens with Alec if they do move him to first base. But um, if he continues to improve like he's doing, I mean, he's still only, what, 25 years old maybe? 26 at the most. Um, he's still young. So, um, you know, he still has room to improve at third base. I don't see any reason why he couldn't continue to, to play there. Now, I have heard rumors that they're going after Trey Turner. Now, I don't know if they can afford Trey Turner. He's going to be yeah. up in that 250 probably $300 million range. We already have several of those guys. So, um, if we don't, Stott will have to stay at shortstop. We don't know what they're going to do with Segura. Will they, you know, sign him to a one-year deal or pick up the option or whatever? So, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. But uh, I think that's, you know, we got bigger – things ahead of us right now, like a playoff spot. So we'll worry about those things in the off season. Totally. Yeah. That's I think, awesome. um, I think that's a ton of good points that you just brought up there. Um, so obviously you just told us how you feel about Alec Bohm, but how, how do you feel about the rest of 
what's been uh, nicknamed the Phillies daycare. I guess that's Veerling and Stott and Maton and all those younger guys. I love the way the young guys are playing. They uh, have um, a lot of heart, a lot of desire. They're very calm in pressure situations, which you don't see a lot from young guys like that. All three of them are very calm, and, and that's uncharacteristic of a rookie. So I really like that about them. And, you know, this organization, we need, we need young talent to come. We can't continue to just go out and buy free agents if we want to be good. So um, we have three stud young pitchers in the minor leagues. Cross our fingers that they stay healthy because if they can come up and have an impact on this team, um, that means we're probably going to have eight, nine, ten guys that are brought up through our own farm system. Now, when we have that, we have three young pitchers. We have Stodd, who's young. We have Maton, who's young. Burling, who can platoon in the outfield. Now we can go out and get some big-name free agents and that can have an impact on this team. So um, I think we're headed in the right direction. You know, Harper's still in his prime. Um, Rio Muto's still in his prime. Um, you know, Bohm's a developing superstar. So, uh, you know, we have uh, Schwarber and Casalanos for three more years after this year. So I think, I think we're looking good. Um, we're going to lose Gibson next year. I can't see them re-signing Syndergaard. Don't know what they're going to do with Eflin. So we're obviously going to need some, some starting pitching. So hopefully these young kids come up, can come up and have an impact. Yeah, it's obviously huge to develop your own talent so that you're not going out there and just shelling out hundreds of millions of dollars every winter. Um, and then Dylan or Colby, do you, do you guys have anything else? Um, so who was your who was the hardest pitcher to face in the 1993 World Series? In the World Series? Oh, gosh, I don't remember who we faced in 93 in the World Series. I forget about the 93 – well, at least game six I forget about. Um, uh, you know, they had Dave Stewart, I remember. They had Stottlemyre. I think they had Leiter, L. Leiter. Um, they had – that, that Toronto team was off the charts talented. I mean, they probably got five or six Hall of Famers that were on that team. And um, I really feel that if we win that game six, if Carter don't hit that walk-off home run, we end up winning that World Series. So that's, that's how good we were. Um, so, you know, the toughest pitcher I've ever faced was Randy Johnson, hands down. Oh. Um, you know, 6'11", you know, when he releases the ball, already halfway home. He's so big. But uh, he was probably the, one of the filthiest guys I've ever pitched. And I faced a lot of good ones. I faced Clemens and Pedro and Smoltz and Glavin and Maddox and um, a bunch of really good pitchers. So, but Randy Johnson, just he, especially being left-handed and me being left-handed, that was, that, let's just say that was not a lot of fun to hit against. Yeah, I'm sure that was uh... insane. Not a favorable match, to say the least. Oh man, I did. I did get a triple off him though, so I do have a triple off. Oh my god, nice! <laughs> you owned him. Yeah, I was. I think I was. Done. I didn't face him a lot. I probably one for five with a walk off him, but the six at bats I did have off him. They, they weren't. I wasn't real comfortable in the batting box, batter's box. Let's say that. I always think of uh, John Crock in the All Star yeah. game. Whenever I think of Randy Johnson, yeah, so. that's that was a funny, funny moment. Yeah, I, I know John didn't think it was funny, but looking back, I, that was pretty funny. <laughs> I was about to ask if you had uh, like any 
funny in-depth stories about Crucky because I know we all love listening to him on TV. Yeah. I mean, he's got the same humor now that he did back then. You know, he had those one-liners. And, but he was just, you know, he was one of those guys that came in to the clubhouse. He'd sit down in our little food room. He'd eat, eat 12 pieces of pizza and, you know, have a couple sodas and then go get three hits. You know, that's the type of guy he was. He, and I remember one spring, one at the end of one year, and I want to say it was like 94 or something. I think he was still with us, 90. It was one of those years in the early 90s. He, uh, you know, he was overweight, but very athletic. He was very athletic. But he said, I'm coming into, guys, I'm coming into spring training in shape. I'm going to lose weight. I can do it. So he did. He came in. He must have lost 30 or 40 pounds. Looked great coming into spring training. We start games. He went like one for 18 or one for 20. And he goes, the hell with this skinny crap. He goes, I'm getting, I'm starting to eat pizza and burgers again. And he did. And he started raking again. So he wasn't a guy that could hit when he was skinny. He, he had to have some extra pounds on him and look like he was unathletic to hit. But uh, he was, he was a great teammate. I, I love Johnny. He was fun. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it's a great story. It's like a mental correlation thing. Like, I need my pizza to yeah. be able to hit. Otherwise, it's yeah, believe me, he could down some pizza. Hot dogs, <laughs> burger. I don't think he knew what a healthy food or a granola bar were, that's for sure. <laughs> he obviously had a few beers after the games, too. <laughs> if he hits like that, he deserves them. That's right. That's exactly right. And he, I don't know if you know, but his career average, I think his last at bat, he got a base hit and put him right at 300. And I think he hung it up right after that. He, so he's a career 300. <laughs> pretty impressive. Really impressive, yeah. Yeah, good for him. It's awesome to hear. Um, fellas, do we have anything else? Or should we, uh, should we send Mickey on his way? I guess, Mickey, is it super quickly? Yeah. I, I know you're a Phillies ambassador. But is it just as stressful for you as it is for us, this playoff run? Because everyone's <laughs> talking like we're in the playoffs, and it's like I'm stressed out every well, day. Well, you know, this next stretch, these next, what is it, nine games against the Braves and the Blue Jays, we need to – we don't have to go eight and one or seven and two, but we need to be somewhere around 500, I think. I and mean, if we can do that, we can, you know, win four out of nine, five out of nine. I think we're in great shape. We're four, up, four games up, I believe, on the Brewers in the loss column um so with the tiebreaker you know, too yeah so we're in we're in good shape we're getting hopefully we're getting wheeler back you know in the next you know week or so <laughs> efflin just came back you know, we got sir anthony back and my dog barking at trucks um and uh you know casalanas will be back soon so we're getting everybody healthy at the right time and um so i think we're going to be good i'm, I'm going to tell you don't be nervous We'll be fine, all right. We're, we're gonna we're gonna get into this playoff spot. Now it's just a matter of what wild card do we want? You know, do we want to play the Braves? Do we want to play the Mets? Um, do we want to play the Cardinals? Um, I don't know. The Mets are a mess right now. They're playing horrible baseball um, at the at the right time for us, at the wrong time for them. And actually, the Braves haven't been playing that good the last week or so either. So. Um, you know, for me, I, I don't know who I'd rather play. They're all really, really good baseball teams. The Mets have owned us this year. The Braves are probably, to me, even a better team than the Mets. Um, yeah. And the Cardinals, you know, they're solid. They're, they're really solid baseball teams. So 
for me, it doesn't matter who we play. We're going to have to play on the road no matter what. So let's just worry about ourselves. Let's not worry about all these other teams. And let's get into that playoff and break that spell, spell that we haven't had since, what, 2011. So, um, but I, I don't think anybody, a lot of teams want to play us either. I mean, you know, you no. throw Wheeler and Noel out there games one and two, and we're swinging the bats well. We can beat anybody, that's for sure. I love it. Yeah. Bailey Falter, sneaky ace now, too. Yeah, you know what? He came up big. We needed him to pitch well, and what'd he go? He went 5-0 and or something while we were yeah, he's so pitching he, unreal he, right he, now. He pitched really well. And that's another young guy, you know, coming up through the system that has really had an impact on this team. All right. Well, uh, I believe that's going to do it. Cole, if you got anything? I do not. All right. Thank you. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, Mickey. Really, okay. really appreciate your time here. All right. Thanks Best so of luck much. to all of you. Take care. Thank you. Sounds good. Thank you, guys. We'll see you guys. See ya. All right. Big thank you to Mickey Morandini for joining us. Uh, what a great interview that was, eh, boys? Awesome. Yeah. Kudos to Connor uh, for setting that up. Nick, Nick was awesome. Yeah, it was – it was awesome for uh, for all of us to get to talk to him. Um, but let's jump into some Phil's talk here. We got about seven minutes left. Thank you, Zoom. Um, what do we want to talk about? Do we want to talk about the upcoming stretch of yeah, Braves, I mean, Blue Jays, Braves, or yeah, why not? I mean, we how gotta... do you feel going into the the series? So I the feel series like. Is... These next few series are going to be huge. I mean, the Brave series is going to be like a playoff series. 100%. You got Ranger guys. versus Freed tonight, I think. Yeah. But is that we the have, matchup tonight? Yeah. We have to be ready to win. Like, we have, we have to, we have to just, you know, do what we kept on doing, win it. If we, even if we win two out of three, that's something. That'd be great. You, you need to build confidence to go into the playoffs. So, even if you even if you do lose this series and then you split Toronto and then and then you take two of three the next time the Phillies see the Braves like that's what four wins five wins yeah I mean it's like the same call that mental they're like ready to, to win and I think you have to go in like you can go on a Marlin series saying like all right we should we should dominate these people but it's the Marlins I mean it's the Marlins you have to go in ready like all right we're gonna take it to the Braves. It's not like, oh, can we be like the Braves are really good? We have to be ready, ready to win this, like anticipating to win. Otherwise, I think we'll stomp all over us. Yeah, you know, it's just going to ruin the confidence. If we play them in the wild card and they have, you know, they win, I don't know, 80% of their games against us. I don't know what the series is right now, but, you know, it's just Philly, you know, the Phillies are going to be, they're going to be like, shit, we can't win this game. Yeah. yeah. How do you guys think Ranger will look tonight? I don't think he's I don't know, good. dude. I feel I, with Ranger, I feel like it's either boom or bust. It's either but I feel seven like innings, it, two runs, or two innings, seven runs. Like you really have no idea. I mean, do do we think he's hurt? Like, do you think that's why he's no. been pitching? pitching I, I think it's Ranger. I mean, I, I've I mean, been calling it since the end of last year that it's going to fall apart because the stuff isn't. Yeah, the stuff's not elite. there. And the, like, the location, you know, so, like, once, the, like, as soon as the location falls apart for Ranger, it's mainly – That's kind of it. Know, like, he doesn't have, like, 
change up. Four other pitches that he can turn to. He's fastball. Uh, what else? Is change up. up. Sinker. Change Sinker. up. Curve. Occasional yeah. slider and then occasional oh. curve. With like that that tertiary, like breaking ball. You know what I mean? Yeah, I when you like throw so two hard. of your pitches five percent of the time, and the fastball is not there, you're down to change up and sinker. I mean, it's that's you need something to break the other way to like so the hitters can just sit on screwball next season he's gonna come out with the screwball guys (laughs) it's just nasty (laughs) breaks like a foot off the plate yeah it's gonna be all uh he needs like a cutter or a two seam or something like that or just to throw the curveball more effectively more they got Syndergaard to do it and Syndergaard's sitting at the Pretty much the same velocity as Suarez because, I mean, Suarez never had top tier velocity, but Syndergaard sits like ninety three ish now. That's where Ranger normally sits ninety three and ninety four that range. So they're think, pretty uh, much pretty similar pitchers in my opinion. It's interesting. Um, what do we Rangers think? obviously a lefty. I don't is Syndergaard a lefty or no? He's a righty. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that's pretty much the biggest difference right there. They're both guys that are going to go 10 and 10 every year with a between a 3 7 and a 4 ERA, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and then Gibson as well. So, I mean, I, like Mickey said earlier, Gibson's probably not going to be back. Um, Syndergaard's probably not going to be back. Uh, I guess that means the return of Matt Moore. Who's excited? And we don't know that. I mean, maybe uh, you know, someone surprises us in our farm system that comes up and takes like a fifth starter. That yeah, would maybe. be cool. I I wonder about that because it's like you can almost see like a Griff McGarry doing that, although he has control issues because he's faced college pitching. Now they're all at Double A together, and they're all facing the same level right now. But it's like. Yes, Dabrowski has called up, and like the Phillies recently have called up guys from Double A straight to the majors in essence. But those are college hitters, and Al Holm and Bryson Stop, not high school pitchers. Now, if they come up and they are effective, Scott Kingery too. Scott Kingery, college superstar. Yeah, (laughs) Um, MLB superstar too. Man, dude, Gabe Kapler really messed up this swing. Whole okay. Scott Kingery was bad because he didn't know the difference between a ball and a strike. Like that's the major difference, or that's the major reason why. Feel he bad. was the worst hitter in the National League for two years in a row because he did not know the difference between a ball and a strike. It's hard sometimes. Yeah, I mean, it's if you don't know the difference between a ball and a strike, you're not going to be successful in high school baseball, let alone the MLB. But do you guys just kind of want to leave it at that and wrap this one up? Yeah, I mean, I guess yeah. Reese isn't going to be playing, so we're, what, we're probably going to see Sosa tonight at third because we've got a lefty pitcher or at short. All right, when was the last time Stubbs played? They might just put JT at first. I mean, cool. it is going to be a Stubbs needs to – who's pitching today? Ranger? Ranger. I think it's a stub start then. Does he usually? Yeah, catch so Ranger? you just put JT at first. Yeah. There you have it. 
our predictions. Or they could put Bryce at first, like I said last week. <laughs> I was listening to that today, and I was like, man, I had some Shit. good reasons. I was right. I was right. All right, should okay. we wrap things up now? Yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, thank you for everyone listening. Thank you for Mickey to joining us. Had a really special episode today. This will be uh, up live sometime tonight, Friday night. All right. Have a good night, everyone. See you guys. See you guys.